Hello, my name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen? And so are you! <laughs> Hey there, Screamers, and welcome to another episode of Scream Queens, the podcast where horror gets bent. So, do you know what this is? This is episode 10, bitches! Can you believe it? We're in the double digits, yo! Man, and I've got a feeling that this is going to be my favorite episode yet, because 10 is my favorite number of inches. Did I say that? Yeah, I did. Okay, moving on with the show. Tonight, I'm sick, but you know what? Nope. Pissant little microbes gonna get in the way of entertaining the tens of fans I have out there. So, in this episode, I'm gonna be the first kid on the block to tell you all about Hatchet 2! Cause really, who can get enough of mutant hillbilly swamp monster things? And then in the crapshoot, Burning Bright is better than Burning Pea, right? Of course right! And finally, I just might expectorate on your sepulcher. I know what it means. Do you? Well, we're going to find out right after these somewhat important messages. Okay, okay. In the darkness of a hot summer night in 1873, in the crowded tenements of Manhattan, Nicholas Ryan and his sister Mary were brutally murdered. The savage and bizarre nature of the crime was shocking, even for the notorious Five Points District. The entire city held its breath in fear. The murderer was never found. Living Theatre presents the Lower East Side Murder Mystery, The Ryan Case, based on an actual historical unsolved murder, in which you take the role of detective, searching the bustling streets of modern-day Manhattan scour dark alleys and seedy lairs to hunt down a host of dubious suspects. Search for clues, unearth the truth, bring justice to the slain. Come live out the Lower East Side Marriage Mystery every Saturday night at 6 p.m. all summer long. For more information or to order tickets, visit www.liveintheatre.com or call 212-780-4787. History couldn't catch this fiendish killer. So, Screamers, the Lower East Side murder mystery is going away for the winter at the end of the month. So, if you're in the New York City area and you haven't seen me in it, come, come already, come visit www.liveintheater.com and get your tickets. Or write me, I can hook you up. It's pretty awesome. Anyway, uh, I got another email from my friend Chuck in Oklahoma City, and he was asking what I thought of the finale of Scream Queens on VH1. Chuck, how many times do I have to tell you I'm not talking about this show? I'm leaving that for the good folks over at the I'm Not Here to Make Friends podcast to take care of. But you keep writing in and you keep insisting. And what did I think of the finale? Well, it went just the way 
everybody thought it was going to. Surprise. I don't know if it's the way they edit that show, because this was the same thing last year, because Tanisha won last time, and you kind of knew that from episode one. Every episode, you spent more time with Tanisha, and this year, Gabby, than anybody else. So when it got down to the end, you were like, okay, shocker. Uh, I did not, not want her to win at the end, you know, because by, by then it was just... She'd grown on me, but I'm, I'm concerned about her. She can't handle technical stuff still, and you know what? It's not my problem. It's not my problem. It's the director's problem. It's Jigsaw's problem. But that much said, I did enjoy the run of the show. I'm glad they have something like this on. It is an innovative look inside of the world of horror movies and acting. I hope there's a season three, and I hope that season three doesn't mean there's another goddamn Saw movie. Move on. It's over. You know what's not over? The Hatchet franchise. Because today here in New York City and in limited theaters around the country, Hatchet 2 splashed itself all over the screens. And because I'm poor this week, instead of going to the exciting opening night crowded evening show, I snuck into a bargain matinee with the senior citizens. Shut up. Shut up, shut up, shut up, and listen to the trailer. In 2007, director Adam Green brought us Hatchet, the return of the great American slasher and the birth of horror's newest villain, Victor Crowley. Old school American horror with buckets and buckets and buckets of blood. But American theaters saw a censored version of the film now, in 2010, Victor Crowley returns to the big screen in the ultimate slasher sequel, Hatchet 2. And for the first time in over 25 years, a horror film is coming to major cinemas uncensored, uncut, uncompromised. Never seen in the theater before. More deaths. More carnage. More Crowley. Adam Green's Hatchet 2. So, Hatchet 2 picks up pretty much exactly where Hatchet left off. Unfortunately, we missed the first couple minutes of the movie, not because I was late, but because the projection actually didn't work this time. Where were those people from the buried screening then, huh? Ah, projection! It's broken! It's broken! Because it was broken this time. Damn it. So things pick up pretty much exactly where the original Hatchet left off. I'm going to sneeze. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm sick. And like I said, I'm not sure how it happened, but poof. The original actress, Tamara Feldman, has turned into Danielle Harris in the role of Mary Beth. It's magical. Um, but what they don't cover, or maybe they did, what I didn't see, rather, is how she got away from Victor Crowley in the rowboat 
at the end of the first one, but she did move along with the story. Anyway, she winds up at a cabin, you know, looking for help, and the cabin is owned by that guy, the guy with the great little cameo in the first one, the other guy in the rowboat, the, the guy who drank his own pee. The fisherman hunter guy who was drinking his own pee. She's telling him what happened and everything. He's like, oh, you poor baby. Here, you poor baby. Have something to drink. And he handed her a bottle of pee. And the rest of the scene was like, is she going to drink it? Because it kept getting really close to her lips. And then she'd talk, talk, and then get really close to her lips. And something else would happen. Does she drink it? I'm not going to spoil it. Because really, that's an important plot point. But, um... He wants to know what the hell she was doing out there in the first place. She's like, I was looking for my daddy and my brother because they were hunting in a swamp and they didn't come home. And he's like, who's your daddy? Except he didn't say it like that because that would have been awesome. And she's like, oh, he was blah, 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 whatever his name is. And he's like, oh, my God, your dad is blah, 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 blah. You get out of my house. You get out of my house right now. You go. She's like, why, why, why? He's like, you get out. I will shoot you in the face. She's like, oh, all right, snippity, snoopity. So he throws her ass out and immediately gets killed by Victor Crowley because she, he's all like, after she's gone, he's walking around going, oh, I'm sorry, Victor. I didn't know who she was. I wouldn't have let her in if I knew who she was. That doesn't count. So immediately I'm going, okay, Hatchet's getting the Halloween 2 treatment. Now, all of a sudden, there's this whole Jamie Lee Curtis, Laurie Strode, oh my God, she's really her sister kind of deal, the O in effect. And I was right. This is not a surprise. We find this out immediately. I'm not spoiling anything, so just stop yelling at me. Stop it. I can't take it. I'm sick. <laughs> See? She makes it all the way back to New Orleans. The aftermath of Mardi Gras is in full, not so much swing, but spew, I suppose I should say. And she shows up at Tony Todd's shop going, The man that drinks his pee told me that you would help me. The uh, burp. And anyway, now we're into all the all the setup story that, you know, happens to happen before the slaughter. And actually, this part was all very interesting. This part was all very interesting. They set up, a, Tony Todd fills in a lot of the blanks of the original Victor Crowley legend that were missing in the first one. And it's great, you know, the, what was really going on with his father and what was really happening in that house. And this, that, and the other thing. And I liked it. I liked this a lot. Okay, spoiler alert. If you don't want to know the new backstory... Fast forward about two minutes or so because I feel I'm just in the mood to do this. Okay, so Daniel Harris is all like, "Well, what really happened out there?" And Tony Todd's like, "Well, you probably heard what happened when them boys burned down the cabin." Uh huh. That was all in the flashback sequence in the original. And she's like, "Well, what you don't know is what happened before with Victor Crowley's mother." She's like, "What happened?" She's like, "Oh, she got the cancer really bad and she died really slow." Oh, no, that's just terrible. Mm-hmm. Well, Victor Crowley's daddy, he had to bring in the sexy ass Cajun nurse. And, well, they started doing it and stuff, and then the mama died. Oh, that's it. Shut up, I'm telling a story. But by the time that poor woman died, that Cajun lady, she was already spitting the baby. Ooh, she nasty. Yeah, she was. Bad girl, now shut up. I'll go slap you if you interrupt me again. Well, they thought that poor cancer lady was dead, but she wasn't. All of a sudden, she comes springing up and she she grabbed that nurse by her belly and she starts going, putting some kind of voodoo curse on her. And then you know what? That baby come flying at her pussy and they were all fucked up. God's bro. I don't know. By the way, exploding vagina here alert. God damn it. God damn you, Holly, when you're exploding vaginas. Back to the story. Yeah, that baby come out and it was so ugly that that Cajun nurse just looked at him. She's like, ah! She died. Oh, by the way. 
Your dad was one of the people that burned down the house with the firecracker in the first place. Oh my god, I can't believe it. He never mentioned that to me. Well, like, that would have been far too much backstory for the original film. Mm-hmm. Okay, and a spoiler. They actually made the backstory even more sad and pathetic than it was in the first film. And the plot devices he, uh, that Adam Green introduces here really makes you feel like he really did plan for this to have some sequels and for the story to extend itself because they mesh together really well, not being hammered together like the Saw films. Like, oh, remember this? You didn't see this over here. That's just what was really going on. So she, Mary Beth convinces Tony Todd to uh, help her go out into the swamp and get her daddy and brother back so they can have a proper burial because my whole family's gone now. So he rounds up a whole bunch of fishermen, you know, says, you know, I'll give you $500. We can clear out this swamp so I can get my bus, my, my bus tours, my boat tours going again. And he gets a whole bunch of hillbillies to come in and help, as well as Danielle Harris's uncle. Oh, and mixed in with the all, mixed in with all the hillbillies, is the same actor who played the boat driver in the original, the funny Asian guy who kept switching accents. Well, this is the brother that he was talking about, but it gives you an excuse to see this really funny actor who was so great in the first one. Again, so this was a good thing, as Martha would say. And so we all head back out into the swamp, and the whole movie starts to die a little bit for me. Um, if you're looking for gore, if you want gore, you're gonna get it. It's bloody as hell. There's kill after kill after kill. There's kills... The 10 kills before the opening credits or something crazy like that. And everything's pretty well done. My problem is the story went out the window. And I might not have a problem with that had the story not been so strong up until the 45-minute mark. Because one of the things I liked about the original was that you spent a lot of time with the characters. And unusually for a horror movie, I didn't really want to see any of them die. I genuinely was invested in all of them. You know, even the old couple who you only see for a little bit, I like their relationship. I like their... The character that was defined, they were, they, were, they were fun. They weren't annoying. Nobody was annoying. Nobody's really annoying here, but everybody's really stupid because immediately everything falls into the slasher cliches. Except luckily in this one, the black characters are not the first to die, neither one of them. You know, I don't really see that a lot anyway. Who makes these rules up? God damn it. Now, I realize this is supposed to be a return to the great American slasher thing, but, you know, can we return with a little modern finesse or intelligence or something? Because immediately as they get there, they split up. Immediately! Now, I know some people had a lot of problems with the first film. They're like, oh, man, that wasn't great. It's not a big return to slash film. That was nothing. It was so stupid. That was so stupid because all they did was, you know, they run, somebody would get killed. They go over here, somebody else would get killed. They go back to the other place, someone would get killed. They go back to the third place, someone would get killed. It's stupid. I'm like, well, in this one, they immediately split up. And for some reason, they're supposed to be hunting, but they all split up and go somewhere and sit and wait. Won't somebody come and kill me now? And all the dialogue is just dumb. Not even dumb, but boring. I'm like, at least in the other one, there was char- the characters were snappy. The fighting between the titty girls was fun and all that. This is just blah. They had this whole long... Two of the characters had this really long conversation about failing the driver's test in high school. I'm like, who fucking cares? But finally, Victor Crowley shows up and quickly decimates everybody in a heartbeat. Because once the killing starts, it, it goes pretty fast. And the buckets of blood get chucked around like nobody's business. And that, that's, that's great if you like that. I would have had, it would have had more effect for me if I had some sort of attachment to the characters at all or knowing anything about them. Was that, 
Nothing, except that they're stupid for splitting up in a haunted swamp the second they get there and putting their guns down and just sitting and waiting to be killed. Hi, we're the meat for the grinder. Don't get too accustomed to us because we're not going to be around long. Are some of the kills spectacular? Yes, but I also, oddly enough, found myself kind of... There's a lot of genital mutilation in this one of both genders. And I'm like, really? And again, I'm like, that didn't sit well with me. And finally, there's the big final showdown at the end. And the whole last reel is a complete letdown. It just fizzles. Some good effects again, but the story's just bleh. There's something dull about a killer that you can't stop at all. You know, because when you see them fighting, you're like, that's not going to end well. I already know what's going to happen. He's going to get up again. And he's going to get up again and again. And again and again and again. This is all kind of pointless. Can we move this along? And then it just stops. It just stops. And it's not particularly satisfying. Actually, the guy who's sitting behind me goes... Man, this is the worst movie I ever seen. And I said, well, I'm not going to go that far, but I'm glad I went to the bargain matinee and didn't spend 15 bucks on it. You got it out there, middle America. 15 bucks here. Okay, so I'm going to make a compliment sandwich here. What didn't work here for me? Like I said, the writing up until halfway through, I was, I was enjoying. I was enjoying the characters they were introducing. Tony Todd and uh, Danielle Harris are both wonderful in this, and they elevate the entire movie to another level. I mean, Tony Todd's character, Dr. Zombie, should really just be a joke, but he, it's not, because he's such a good actor, and he had so many layers to it, and he's just fascinating to watch, and Daniel Harris, that girl can cry. And again, them just being in it takes it up a few notches right there. But the best performance in the film, for me, the most emotionally stirring performance in the film for me, hold on to your seats, was Kane Hodder. Kane Hodder as Victor Crowley's dad in the flashback. Broke my heart. He made me sad in the first one. Broke my heart. You know, these long close-ups of his face with tears just streaming out. And I'm like, that's Jason. Jason's crying. Aww. Okay, and I have to get something off my chest here. And, 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 well, let's just get it done over with. Okay, back in the day, I used to bartend at a bar, a gay bar on Bear Night. And I got associated with the bear community. And I... I think Kane Hodder is adorable as, as Victor Crowley's dad in this, especially because he's so sad. I just want to hug him and squeeze him. And I know he's a jerk in conventions, but you know what? Woof. Grrr, woof. There's a couple of woofy hunters in the pack, too. But, you know, hey, straight guys aren't the only one who go to the movies to ogle, okay? At least you get some titties in this. Do I get titties? No. I get your titties. Well, not your titties, but the titties you like. You know what I mean. Okay, why don't I go back to the movie? Also, there's a lot of fun cameos in this. Um, I, I, I spotted enough to realize that I missed a lot. Because Lloyd Kaufman's stuck in there. Uh, John Carl Bilcher. Bulcher. I don't know how to pronounce his name. But the special effects guy and the director who worked on Ghoulies and um, Friday the 13th Part 7 and Troll. Herba, herba, way. Herba, herba, way. Ah. He was in there, and uh, oh, and uh, the guy who played um, Daniel Harris's uncle in this is Tom Holland. Tom Holland is the director of things like Fright Night and Child's Play. And like I said, there's enough directors in this that I know there's more, and I'm just missing them. But hey, we're not supposed to know what they look like. They're behind the camera, so they're cheating. Anyhow, I didn't find this particularly as funny as the other ones. I mean, it was trying to be funny, but it was just not succeeding with my audience. But then again... There's something creepy about going to these bargain matinees and it's a feature like this, a gore feature, you know, because 
at least when something really grisly happens in, in a large audience, there's at least, oh, we got some girls in New York and get the people yelling back at the screen. Oh, damn, no, we didn't. Oh, ow, oh, man, no. But this, like, some really grisly shit goes down. Like, let's say some genital mutilations, since they already spoiled that. And everyone's, like, dead silent. And all of a sudden, I start to feel dirty. Like I'm at a peep show or something. You know, like the old 42nd Street type of theaters. Not that I know. Shut up. When I went back and was grabbing the audio for the trailer to add on to this, I realized how much they're promoting the blood in this. I was looking at the IMDb page, and the trivia was all about the amount of blood that they used. They're like, oh, we only used 58 gallons in the original. This is like 128. Blood, 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 blood. If you want blood, you're going to get it, because they are literally throwing buckets around at the end. Literally. I mean, just, like, you're not seeing what's happening. You're just buckets, like, splash, 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 splash. So if that's what you want, that's what you're going to get. If that's what you want, go see it in the theater. I say rent it. If you need to see it, rent it. I was less than impressed. So the queen says, meh. Although perhaps if they stuck an electric boogaloo after the title, I would have gotten a hee hee, but they didn't. Oh well, moving on. The boogaloos, the boogaloos, we're in the air and everywhere, flying high, flying loose, flying free as a summer breeze, happy as a summer breeze. Hold on to your pampers, bitch asses. It's time for the crap shoot. <laughs> Paul? 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 Tiger. Tiger. Burning bright in the forests of the night. What immortal hand or eye could frame thy fearful symmetry? That's from The Tiger by William Blake. Why am I quoting poetry on a horror podcast? Well, because that opening line of the poem is where they get the title of this week's crapshoot selection. Now, as you know, the crapshoot is all about me diving headfirst into that endless ocean of direct-to-DVD horror releases and searching endlessly, questing... Just thrashing around, searching for a diamond in that shit pile. Did I find it this week? I don't know. Let's find out right after the trailer. Meow. It's against my better judgment. Never touch the cage. I thought he was a circus cat. Circus don't want him. I bought a tiger. You're crazy. Bengal Tiger is the real deal. We're talking 120 mile per hour wind. Get those animals inside and get this place boarded up. Out here, not safe. In the house, safe. Tiger by the toe. 
If he hollers, let him go. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. So if you haven't guessed it by now, the movie that I'm going to be talking about is Burning Bright, as opposed to Burning Pea, which is a whole other movie whatsoever. Anyway, before I get started, I just want to applaud the screenwriter and the director and whoever else was involved in this movie because the plot elements here is so ridiculous, it should not work. It just all sounds stupid, but you know what? Well, we'll save the verdict till later. Okay, in Burning Bright, we follow the story of this young woman named Kelly. Kelly. And she finds herself, unfortunately, trapped in her family farmhouse during a hurricane with a live tiger loose in the house. Oh, yeah, and she has to take care of her little brother during all this as well. Oh, yeah, he's autistic. Yeah. Oh, and did I mention there's a hurricane outside? All of this is ridiculous. You know, one or two of these things would have been enough. A tiger in the house with an autistic kid, that's that's a lot. A hurricane with an autistic kid, that's a lot. A hurricane and a tiger, that's a lot. All three of these things, it's way too much. It should never work. But, God damn it, I can't help. I'm blowing it. It does. This movie's a lot of fun. What's great about this, too, is there's not a lot of subplot. There's really no subplot. There's the plot. It's a really short movie. I think it's 86 minutes, but it feels even shorter than that. When it was over, I was like, that's it? That was only like an hour. I looked at the clock and said, no, it wasn't. So you got some fast-paced action going on here. So uh, this girl, Kelly, she's trying to go off to college uh, after her mother has died. And um, her father's a bum, so she doesn't want to leave her autistic little brother with him because she doesn't know what's going to happen, right? Because, you know, he's you know a drinky and a, and a skeezy and all that other stuff. So she's enrolling him in a special school. But when she tries to, she's there and tries to pay for it, they're like, oh, sorry, your credit's declined. She's like, what you talking about? I got a gazillion dollars. And then they're like, no, sorry, it's empty. So she goes to the bank and she's like, yo, where's my money? And the bank's like, ah, it's not your money anymore. Your father took it all out. She's like, what you talking about? He's like, well, it's not in your care yet. You're too young. Well, what he needed for? Well, he's opening up. Are you ready for this? He's converting your home into a safari park. Like you do. Like you do. I've heard of some get-rich schemes before, but that one's a little um, obtuse. She confronts her father, and he's like, yep, I already bought all the animals. I got a tiger and a monkey. And a bobcat-looking lynx thing, and I think some snakes are around here. And she's like, oh, my God, now I can't go to college, and he can't go to special school. I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. Yeah. So during all this, we're seeing the weather reports that there's a ferocious hurricane on the way. And so during all this family crisis, there's all these workers working on the house who are boarding up the windows in preparation for the big storm. So, uh, her father has to go away on business for something or whatever, so she's taking care of the kids, and she lays down at the end of the night, and, uh, sleeping, 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 and she wakes up because she has a nightmare, and she goes downstairs, gets halfway down the stairs, when she realizes there's a fucking tiger in the living room. Okay, she handles it really well, because I would have been like, Aah! 
Oh, I've been like, okay, I'm so still dreaming. I'm going to keep go getting my milk and wind up getting eaten on the ottoman. Which wouldn't be the first time. Shh, I didn't say that. So when she realizes this tiger's in the house, naturally she grabs her brother and is like, okay, let's go. And she discovers not only have the, the windows have been boarded up, but the doors have been boarded up too. So they can't get out. I'm not giving anything away here because there's no other characters in the fucking film. Their father did it. You know, he wants all the money and wants them gone. So, what a douche. But again, that's not important. The important thing is that there's a fucking tiger in the house and we can't get out. Very simple, very effective. But yeah, from there on, the race is on. Like, the action never stops. It never slows down. My only problem is the little brother in this. I mean, I get it. He's autistic, but he speaks in... I don't know much about autism, so I don't know if I'm coming at this from the wrong angle, but he spoke in Tarzan speak. Eat now! Eat now! No touch! Go now! And he was also really bossy. That's all he ever... It was always two words, and it was always ordering something. And I'm like, you know what? You're, you're annoying. I realize you have autism, but you know, it doesn't... If you didn't have autism and were speaking like this, I'd call you annoying. So I'm not giving you any special treatment. So there. Me, me, me. I have to give this movie credit as well because they didn't use any CGI on this tiger. There's a fucking tiger in this house. They used a little bit, you know, in some close-up scenes, but it's almost unnoticeable. It goes by so fast. And there's a fucking tiger in your house. You know, you see them on TV or at the zoo and you're like, oh, they're so beautiful. Oh, that's so lovely. When they're in your fucking kitchen, you're like, okay, this is fucked up. And I'm looking at the tiger at one point. And I'm looking at my cats, and I'm like, wow. You guys are like cousins. You're in the same family. Look at that. Look at how similar you are. Oh, wow. He's like a great big cat. And then the thing opened up its mouth, and it was the size of New Jersey. And I was like, okay, fuck it, cousin. He can't come over. Nuh-uh. Unfortunately, that's about all I can say about this movie because it's all action, almost no dialogue, and it's very tense. It's very suspenseful. There's a scene in a laundry chute that just had me squealing and screaming and clawing at the furniture like Cher announced a reunion tour. But no, that's not true. I don't like Cher, but much. Anyway, um, I recommend this movie. It's a great rainy day movie. Ooh, if you watch it on a rainy day, you could pretend that there's a hurricane outside. Oh, yeah, it'd be very real. And then when your cat comes in and knocks jumps over, you're like, ah, it's the tiger or not. Also, if you've got someone in your house, you know, a spouse or a kid or a Mr. Brad, who are not horror fans at all, this is actually a good film from them because there's not a lot of gore. There's not a lot of ludicrous violence. It's just a nice, taut thriller. And plus, there's no boobies or F-bombs. So if you have to placate them, this is a good one. If it's a little tame for you, think of them for a change. And write it off as a Valentine's Day gift so you don't have to buy anything. Ha! I'm a genius. Anyway, check it out. I liked it. Thumbs up from this queen. I feel like Earth... I feel like Earth Kit now. Earth Kit says, I loved it. I'll stop doing that. That's just weird.
Alright, uh, remember last week when I was giving away those free passes to the I Spit on Your Grave double feature and nobody won them? Well, this week I got the opportunity to finally catch the movie. The chance for free tickets came up again and I said, okay, Destiny is telling me to see this movie so I can let all y'all whether or not it's worth checking out or not. You know, my duty to my public. Anywho, before I talk about the movie, I want to talk about the line for the movie. Because online, you know, it was a free preview, which means you got to get there hours early because you may not get in and what have you. And I'm standing in the line, I'm looking around, and there's an exorbitant number of people over 60. And people with babies. And I don't mean kids, like they gave birth on the subway on the way over to the theater. I'm like, alright. You know, the past said, you know, no one under 17, period. And then I, the stream brutality and stuff, but I then realized that these people show up every time there's a free movie, no matter what it is, because that's the way people are. No judgments. No judgments. But anyway, I'm standing there on the line, and I'm hearing a... I'm always... I'm suddenly eavesdropping on the conversation behind me, and it's this woman, and she's talking to a gentleman online, and she's saying, oh yeah, um, I'm not really into horror movies, but my boyfriend is, so I've been getting into them a bit through him. And the man asks, so, what's your favorite horror movie so far? And she goes, well, Cannibal Holocaust. And I turn around and introduce myself. And I said, girl, you are a scream queen. To go from, I don't really like horror movies, to my favorite is Cannibal Holocaust, to a complete stranger, I said, I worship you in a gay way. And then I turn to see that the man that she's talking to is wearing a human centipede t-shirt. But what was great about it is that there was no indication that it was from a movie on the front. It was just this kind of cutesy cartoon version of three people stitched together ass to mouth. I said, these are my people. And it turns out they were fellow members of the New York City horror movie meetup group that I had not previously met. So shout outs to you, Kevin and Sandra, for making that line a hell of a lot more entertaining. Because you two are my scream queens of the week. Yay! Sit down, you're not getting the tiara. You'll have to rip it off my cold, dead head. Anyway, was there a movie I was talking about? Oh yeah, I Spit Under Grave 2010. Uh, you know if you want to see the movie or not. You just, I, yeah, either you do or you don't. I didn't really, but as I've seen the original and I appreciate the original. I don't enjoy the original. I don't see how you could. And in comparison, this new one, meh. It's very Anchor Bay, since it is an Anchor Bay remake. Surprise, it's like an Anchor Bay thing. Oh, God, Patrick, yeah, that's, that's journalism for you. Anyway, um, it's really slick. It's very high-produced. And I have to say, they, for the actors they hired to play the rapist, they got the best-looking bunch of perfect teeth rednecks I've ever seen. It's very talky. There's a lot of unnecessary backstory. Uh, instead of the intensity of the first film, there's a lot of slashery elements, like there's a lot of her... Hearing spooky noises in the cabin. Hello? Is someone there? That kind of business. And that's fine if you like that sort of thing. But man, when it gets down to the actual rape is when it started to fall apart for me. Not that I wanted to see what I saw in the first film, but I don't know. If you're going to remake this film, you have some standards to live up to. I mean, I want to have that kind of a feeling that I had. I even know. I don't want to have that feeling, but that. You know what I mean! But when it comes down to the rape. I read a review online somewhere that something happened in the way they edited this and like all of a sudden there was no nudity or very little nudity and cutaways were just timed right so you couldn't see anything. That this reviewer said that it was telegraphing this message of, isn't this disturbing? Whereas in the original with its stark camera work almost staring 
camera work, just this cold, detached view of this horrible crime that's happening in front of you, it whispered in your ear, are you disturbed yet? Because we're not done. Which is different. Now, in between the rape and the revenge, there's a huge leap of logic. In order to escape from them, she jumps off a bridge into the river, butt-ass naked, and they can't find her, so they presume that she's dead. A month passes. There's no sign of her. They've burned all her belongings. They've torched her car. And then all of a sudden, she shows up and starts killing them. And I kept saying, where the fuck was she for a month? There's some little cabin that she supposedly was in, but I'm saying, where did she get the clothes? Where did she get the skinny jeans and the awesome belt and the bitch boots and food and money? And her hair still looked fantastic, but okay. Instead, instead of getting following her story at this point, we follow the rapists, and it's really boring. It's just, I don't need to know this much about them because I'm not getting any insight about them. It's just a lot of them being rapists. Oh, by the way, there's an extra rapist in this. And, and when it comes down to the revenge, it goes for torture porn. You know, it's gory, it's shocking, but it's Hollywood shocking, where the other one was this, a swift justice, which was a whole other thing. And also, everything that happens in the revenge is telegraphed in the first half of the film. Every time somebody said something, or there was an object presented, there was a, there was a dung-dung in the score. I don't know, you could just tell. I kept saying, that's going to be back later, and I was always right. So if you want to have a stomach-churning good time that's not going to stick with you very long, that's, it's fine. I mean, actually, it was kind of uncomfortable because my audience was laughing at a lot during the rape and otherwise. Oh, oh, this is kind of cool. Before the show even started, they had a group of women come out and do a demonstration of self-defense moves. And that kind of made me feel better because I was feeling guilty for seeing this film in the first place. And I said, okay, this kind of cleans my palate a bit. And the demonstration was great. The problem was when the attack was happening in the film, people in the audience started yelling out moves that they just learned. Like, pull the lever! Use your Franco guns! Punch them in the throat! And everyone would be laughing and laughing in this story. I don't think go together. But, you know, like I said at the beginning, you know if you want to see it. I leave it in your good hands. Don't come crying to me when you think it sucks. I wash my hands of this. Hey, do you know there's a dead man at the bar? Yeah, sure. Be flat. There's a dead man at the bar. We thought that he was sleeping. There's a dead man at the bar. His secret ain't worth keeping. You can ask him if you want, but nothing will be said. He can't reply and he'll his bar. The man at the bar is dead. Is he drunk? No, 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 no. Is he tired? No, 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 no. Did he pay? No, 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 no. The man at the bar is dead. I never did expect I would meet a corpus delecti. The man at the bar is dead. Patrick, Zombart, what up? Zombart. Got some questions for you to mull over for your next show. Uh, first question is, I um, haven't heard anyone talking about the uh, Zombie Awareness Day or World Zombie Day that's coming up on October 10th, uh, oh. 2010. I know there's going to be multiple zombie walks across the country, and it's all going to be for a charity. It's going to be a giant food drive in all the various cities. And I wanted to know if you had any scoop on uh, where your fellow New Yorkers could turn out to uh, perhaps donate some food to the less fortunate. Also, it looks mm. like I'm going to be heading down to uh, experience the uh, Universal Halloween Horror Nights pretty soon here. And nice. with your background in haunted house making, I wanted to get your opinion on uh, what makes a good haunted house. And I will take that opinion okay. and use it against Universal Studios in my judgment of them. Um, 
I think I have eight houses this year. Uh, one of the houses is a zombie house. Very exciting. Uh, lots of it seems like it's recycled from previous years with the uh, evil clowns and such. And I think they have a, a steampunk. Nothing wrong with evil clowns. Be like their stall that they're combining together. But Blah. yeah, very exciting. And I would love to hear any haunted house making tips and uh, anything you could uh, throw out. Um, that's it. I hope you're having a pleasant day. And bye. All right, listen up, you. You think you're so smart just because you outscooped me on an event that's going on? I never heard of the Zombie Awareness Day before, but thank you for enlightening me. So I took a moment to hit the pause button and do a little Googling. I don't see a lot going on here in NYC. There is um a pub crawl, a zombie pub crawl scheduled that day, but they don't mention anything about charity. Uh, I'll keep looking for stuff and keep you guys posted out there, and you gals, and you girls. And if I find something, you'll be the second to know after myself. Shut up, you know what I mean? I hope there's more than a pub crawl, because I'm not much of a drinker anymore these days. Crawling around in zombie makeup, getting bazoozled, doesn't really sound that fun to me. Because, you know, alright, I'm telling a story here. There was a Halloween a few years ago. I was invited to a party. And it was this fancy costume party on the Upper East Side. And all these fancy people. And it was this fancy buffet. And I didn't like anything on it. You know, I don't really know anybody. I know the host and maybe two other people. And I'm like, I can't eat that. I can't eat that. Don't want to eat that. Don't know what that is. So I wound up over at the dessert tables eating these awesome brownies. And my friend came over and he's like, ha, 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 you know, those are pot brownies. And I'm like, ha, 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 that's funny because I've eaten like 12 of them. And it turns out they were. Now you got to understand, this wasn't that kind of a party. This wasn't a bunch of young folk or stoners or hipsters or anything like that. These were socialites, you know? And I would figure, there was no indication of anything like this. You know, everyone's having like the, the dry martinis and all talking about the opera and shit like that. So if you're going to put out a plate of pot brownies, you might at least put a sign on it that says, hey, these are pot brownies, but they didn't. And everybody was going to a club, you know, because this party ended early. We're all, so the party moved to this club. I got... <laughs> By the time I got to the club, I started tripping balls. Like, I was, like, frighteningly high. I mean, I couldn't... I was hallucinating. I didn't know where I was. The whole club is mirrored. Like, all the walls are mirrored. So I'm walking into mirrors. I can't find my friends. There's all these flashing lights. It's packed, crowded, and it's Halloween. So everybody looks like a freak. And I'm like, oh, my God! Ah! I couldn't find anybody. I went out to my car, and I hid in the back seat. And I kept thinking there were people scratching at the windows and crap. So going to a pub crawl doesn't sound that attractive to me. But let's talk about haunted houses. Uh, that's that's a subjective thing. It depends on the house. It depends on a lot of things. Uh, sometimes I like the the story. The story makes a good house. Imagination is always important. The heart behind it is important. Did you just slap something together to make money, or is there some soul in it? Uh, and when it comes to the storytelling, like I mean, like I know a million of the tricks. I know all the tricks. So I think so. You gotta work really hard to scare me. Besides, boo, shock scare. There was a house that used to be in Florida, Orlando, Florida, called uh, Terror on Church Street, which was fantastic. So I went in there, I'm like, okay, scare me. Because I know all these tricks. I went in and I saw the setups, I'm like, yeah, I know how this is going. Yeah, I know how this is going. Something's going to pop out from there. So I'm watching this one corner, but every single setup, they caught me off guard with something completely different. So I'm like, you guys are good. So the element of surprise is really important, as well as 
misdirect, to make sure that people are looking somewhere or worried about something else completely to get that really big scare. Also, you have to let suspense build. I've been to houses where people are popping out and just going blah at you every two seconds, and after a while, it just gets assault. Like It's like an assault. I almost said assault of it, that's not even a word. Aside from some brilliant set pieces in this house in Florida, one of the most effective things was one of the smallest and quietest. There was a relatively narrow hallway, and we had to squeeze past one of the actors. And, you know, this is probably just completely incidental. He was probably just moving from one room to another or going on his break or whatever. But as I said, we're squeezing past him, and we're already like, oh, God, what is he going to do? What is he going to do? What is he going to do? He didn't try to do anything. The only thing he was doing was as he was, we were passing, we just heard him going... <laughs> And it was the freakiest thing. And by the way, if that didn't come out clear, that was a little tiny slurping noise. Not a giggle. Not a hee-hee-hee. Like, <laughs> it was gross. So it's not always the big blahs that are the best. Sometimes you can just go for the... <laughs> you can quote me on that if you know how to spell it. But it really depends on the house. But please let me know how they are. I'm always fascinated to hear about New Haunt, what the new tricks are, because I've been out of business for 20 years now. Oh my God, I've been out of college for 20 years. Shut up, you didn't hear that. I mean five. I mean five years. Thank you for the calls, Zombard bastard. Who's next? I gotta tell you, boy, we don't like your kind around these parts. It's not because you're gay, and yet you find the gays delightful. You gave us musical theater, fruity drinks, and John Waters. No, what we don't like around here is you goddamn gingers. Everybody knows that ginger ain't got no soul. Remember that, boy. A load of 16 tons, and what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me, cause I can't go out my soul to the company store. How's that for soul? Well, caller who didn't leave your name, who I think I'm going to dub Jebediah, thank you for calling in. I'm sorry a ginger must have broken your heart, but... We can't help it. We're just so, so very desirable and evil and proud of it. And if you don't like it, then you can love it. Oh, yeah. Why don't you call me on my private line, Jedediah? I'll make you forget all those other genders. I'll even be your Marianne. Sadly, that's all the phone calls we have, so i got to cleanse my palate with some letters. Ew. So we're switching over to the emails now with the Smooth Transition song. Okay, the first email that I have here comes from John. Hi, John. He says, hey, Patrick. Or maybe it's, hey, Patrick. I'm sure that you must get very tired of all the calls and emails that dote on you and say how wonderful your podcast is. Actually, no. But anyway, he says, Sorry, this is just the cost that you have to bear. I must add my voice to your slavish, adoring fans. Slavish. I particularly enjoyed your latest podcast. You seem to get a little unhinged when going on about 2001 Maniacs. But if it was half as bad as you say, that's understandable. Nonetheless, you sort of scared me. And I liked it. Looking forward to future fabulous releases. Thanks. Well, thank you, John, for writing in, and I, 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 I'm not getting tired of the doting praise. I'm just surprised by it, because ultimately I was kind of doing the show for myself. I figured it's a niche market. I'm 
catering to. And if anybody is entertained, that's great. And to this kind of praise and the amount of it, it's wonderful. But um, thank you doesn't seem like enough. So you're going to have to deal with that. And I'm sorry if I scared you. But, you know, that's what you get with me. You have to know that when I'm screaming like that, I'm usually smiling like hell. It's not all the way angry, usually. You know what? I shouldn't tell you that. No, I'm really pissed. Be afraid, John! You better check in your closet before you go to bed, because I might be in there. Trying on your shoes. Anyway, next letter. <laughs> okay, another smooth transition on the really slow computer. It's not up yet. But that's the Viagra song. Okay, a next email is from, oh, from author Robert Best. And he says, just wanted to add to the deserved chorus of praise for Scream Queens. See, more, more of it. Your show has quickly become one of the best new horror casts. In fact, I'm not sure the modifier new is even needed. One of the best horror casts, period. Wish I had something intelligent to say here, but I don't. Just wanted to let you know that you're doing a great job, Rob. I can't think of anything more intelligent to say than that. But I, again, I'm flabbergasted. And I'm, I'm thrilled you guys are liking it. And I'm not just basically doing some audio masturbation, which I usually charge $5.99 for the first minute for. Can we do some more voicemails? Let's do some more voicemails. Oh, by the way, Robert is the author of the Lakewood Memorial Zombie Trilogy novels, uh, which he was really kind enough to send me, and which I was really unkind to have not reviewed by now. But Robert, have no fear. I will get to them. There has just been a glut of movies coming out lately, and the next month is just chock full of stuff. But if I have a long commute somewhere or any free time, I'm going to be reading them. I'm going to be reading them. I swear to read the novels. Yeah, I said it on the air. It's law. Okay, let's now let's do some voicemails. Right on. Psst. There'll be a link in the show notes on how you can get Robert's books on Amazon.com. Well, that was a weird voicemail. Ah, that wasn't really a voicemail. Hey, Patrick. This is Gray from the Dark Powers Horror Podcast. Hi, Gray. I am just listening to your Friday the, Friday the 13th Spectacular which I think, what, is your third episode. I'm, you know, obviously you're way far ahead you're of You're behind. But, uh, I'm just getting around to behind. it, and I wanted to call and leave my thoughts on the movie you mentioned. You gave an excellent review to the final, and by excellent I mean it was very insightful, had a lot of good things to say about the movie, and it's mm-hmm. interesting because I, I watched the movie myself, and I was really absorbed in the first half of the movie, like you said yourself, and... It's weird because I love horror movies, obviously. It's all I, I mean, I almost could watch horror movies exclusively. I mm. do watch some other types, but almost exclusively horror. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm with you there, I, baby. I felt like I wanted the movie to pull back a little bit and not be so spectacularly horror, be a little bit more drama-esque, because the first half of the movie mm. was so dramatic and so well-paced and so uh-huh. serious in tone that the second half, which was more libicious and more nasty Ooh, and more over-the-top horror, kind of took me off guard. It, it felt like it switched genres in the middle of the movie. Of course, oh, it was yeah. part of the eight films to die for, so, well, there's that. But <laughs> this movie, if I hadn't known it was an eight films to die for movie, the first 
hour or so, I would have not thought it was a horror movie. Mm. And I would have been okay with that. Interesting. I, I mean, I liked the movie, and uh, hearing you talk about it actually made me want to go back and watch it. And I agree that uh. the performances from the film's leads are excellent. I really yeah. enjoyed yeah, the female lead, the, the nerd female lead, which was great. So, excellent review of, your, uh, of that movie, and uh, congratulations on a great show. I, I absolutely oh. love it. You're doing a wonderful job. I can't believe you are doing so good. You're one of the uh, best one-man podcasts I've, I've heard in a while. Uh, no offense to anyone out there like uh, Des oh. Reddick from Dread Media or anybody else, but just very entertaining. So congratulations, my friend, and keep up the good work. I'll talk to you later. Wow, great. Thank you so much for calling in. That that really meant a lot. Thank you. Thank you. I am humbly awed. Um, yeah, as for the final, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it as well and see some of the things I saw. Uh, I understand about switching gears. I still wanted it to be a horror movie because I expected it to be, but I don't think I wanted it to be that horror movie. What did I want? I don't know. As I said in that uh, episode, I think I wanted more, but that's because of my history. But I see your point as well. Anyway, I think the I think you proved that the film warrants some discussion, which I think is great. That's what film is about. That's why I'm I, I'm happy you called in. I'm glad to know that somebody's listening and thinking. I'm learning about myself from this. I'm really into brainiac stuff because I keep talking about things being smart and intelligent. So this is a learning process for us all. Uh, looking forward to you catching up because, wow, there's a lot of wackiness that you're missing. Okay, let's see what's going on next in the phones. Hey, Patrick, this is uh, Zombard. Zombard, yeah, And I took a um, break on my vacation down here in Orlando, picked up my friend George. Say hi, George. Hello, George. And we went out and saw Hatchet Mm. 2. And I guess it's supposed to be its big opening, but because (sighs) it's an unrated film, it got like a limited release. But luckily, we got to see it over at Disney World, everyone's favorite place. Disney it's actually only being released okay. to AMC That's theaters, weird. and the Disney AMC was the one in our local area that actually happened to be playing it. Oh, well, shut my fucking mouth. Oh, we could cuss on here, by the way, George. That is fucking awesome. <laughs> anyway, um, Pussy farts. I just wanted to call in a quick review for those that haven't seen it. We um, all saw it already! Say, if you like the first hatchet, it's the same kind of thing. It's, it's tongue-in-cheek kind of comedy. Um, not all of it hits. You kind of have to be in that kind of mood. Nope. But it was pretty good. Yes, it wasn't. And it was bloody as hell. Um, the cool deaths continue. It's still more creative than your typical deaths. Um, good use of power tools. And uh, well, what was your favorite power tool there, George? My favorite power tool is the probably five foot long chainsaw that he pulls out. That and I'm chainsaw not was say retarded. How the chainsaw was used, but this long chainsaw is definitely used. Uh, could, would, would it be safe to say that the, this long chainsaw hits flesh at some point? It does say to say, you know. It splits a few hairs, if as it were, you know. Uh, okay. Genital mutilation. <laughs> anyway, uh, the, a quick uh, overview for those that haven't seen it yet. It's basically, it picks up exactly where the last one ended. Uh, really? Uh, the final girl fighting for her life, Victor Crowley's grabbing at her face. Uh, she gets away. She goes out and grabs Tony Todd. And apparently there's another plot that brings yeah, Tony she sees Todd the pea and a bunch guy of first. hunters back into the swamp to find her 
parent's body, you know, dig up uh, the death of uh, Robert England in the first one, and she has to go find his body, and she's bringing uh, Hillbilly? Todd the Hunters along, and there's uh, Todd wants to kind of free up the swamp from the Victor Crowley legend. So you yeah, I hadn't heard that. Uh, Tourist-type stuff. Um, so that's kind of his motivation, is to get rid of the monster, and then he could be, you know, I don't yeah, know, fucking swamp. Disney and populate the swamp and do stuff like that. Populate the swamp? I thought it was interesting that on the first movie, they used somewhere in the range of 50 gallons of blood to make the film, which is a fair amount. Yeah, I heard that. But they figured, fuck that, we're going to go bigger, and they used 130 gallons in this film, and you can definitely really? tell this because... Every scene probably had about 10 gallons thrown on top of that, which is unusual because the body doesn't have 10 gallons of blood in it. Yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of... They do the old uh, blood spraying against the, the woods that they did in the first one, but they, they reduce quite a few people just to, like, puddles in this movie and just, uh-huh. just kind of destroy them until they're a puddle. So I thought that, yeah, it was, it was pretty gory and pretty awesome. People puddle. And they focus on a specific body part a lot. I mean, we saw so many people get hit in this one body part. And what, did one you? what did I tell you? What did I tell you? I was actually kind of surprised by how often this attack was used. But it was used to good effect. You're just talking about the If elbow. you like that sort of thing. Yes, the elbow. The infamous elbow. That, it's it's my weakness. That's Ooh, really? Oh, okay. Um, also, well, I, I, I have to say one of the other great things is I knew there was going to be some cameos in this just because there's so many cameos in the first one. <laughs> um, so I won't say what they are. But I already did. One, especially if you know Dredge Central. I know old Steve Barton over there has been kind of toting this, and his cameos is awesome. Uh, um, for those that don't know who he is, I mean, he's in it. It's kind of like when we, uh, well, I think it was in Wrong Turn when old Harry Knowles' big fat head showed up. So it's kind of along those lines. I love that kind of stuff. But we got to probably wrap this up real quick, otherwise we're going to use it for your whole show, Patrick. So Yeah, you know, uh, stuff that we already George, did. What would you give us on a scale of 1 to uh, 10? Um, for filming-wise, I mean, it was only maybe a 6 or a 7. It's not a good film at, like nope. as a, oh, my God, blockbuster is going to win awards. But for what it is, for a horror film that knows its things, I would definitely give it an 8, you know, 8.5, you know. Mm. I like it. I mean, it, it's. I hate the phrase, it is what it is, but... I mean, for, for the fill the hole that Friday the 13th didn't fill in my crazy slasher ghetto reduce a face to bloody pulp kind of thing, I, I'd, I'd probably give it, a, I'd, I'd go higher than the original at this point. And the original, I think I gave it seven, so yeah, I'll go eight on this one. Because uh, I knew what I was getting into, and it was just fun. It was just a good time. There wasn't really much story, not really much plot, um, but it was just a good time. I will Are you say still talking? it took them a while because they have a bunch of gore in the beginning, then it slows <sighs> down, and then it gets gory again. So there is a lull in there. But once you get through that, it's cake. Um, if you hated the first one, absolutely hated it, you will absolutely hate this one. Um, same kind of level as far as that. I mean, same thing. What did you, uh, George, what did you think of all the breasts in this one? Did you, did you enjoy the nudity? Of course, I always enjoy nudity. My favorite part was the very beginning, where they had nudity for no other reason than to have nudity. It was a scene that makes no sense, and it has no, you know, plot relevance. But it was just a chance to show off breasts. And any chance to see breasts in my book is a chance I'm going to take. The breasts And that's book? a chance I think we all should take at some point. But anyway, I'm going to let you go, Patrick. Uh, still loving the show, and I hope to see you when I come up to see the Pee Wee Herman show in New York soon. So we oh, got me planned. Bye! I gotta chop up a few elbows. I'll catch you later.
What did I just tell you, Zombart? What did I just tell you on your last goddamn call? Do not try to scoop me. Eating up five minutes and 45 seconds of my showtime with the review we already did. Good Lord, if you didn't have the good sense to bring your friend George with you. Hi, George. How you doing? How you doing, George? Hmm. Then I would be really mad at you. And by the way, Mr. O, I did Rocky Horror and stuff, so I'm used to being around gay people, but I myself am totally heterosexual. Then you come on my show and you're talking about somehow this movie was filling up your hole. I don't want to know, okay? I don't want to know about the Zombart's hole. Except that I do. <laughs> not, not kind of a way. <laughs> okay, I don't know what's happening. So I'm going to wrap up the show. Because I've hit the giddy spot. The cold medicine's kicking in. Okay, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you all so much for writing and calling. And if you guys want to be awesome, like all these people that got in touch with me, then by all means, write me here at the show. Send me an email at crew at screamqueens.com. And that's... Queens with a what now? Let me hear you say it. Z! That's correct. Good job. Uh, oh, and if you want to be all modern and everything, you can give me a call on the telephono at 347-767-3509. You can tweet me at Scream Queens. You can like me on Facebook. And you can tune in next week when I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. But you know what else we can do? Y'all can write draw. Y'all can write Brian and Drunken Zombie, and you tell him to get off his big, fat, hairy ass and watch his goddamn movie so he can come on this show with me and entertain y'all with pertinent information and shit. Don't ask me what I'm doing next week. I don't know what I'm doing right now. So, um, until I see you guys again, until we meet again, Keep on rocking in the free world or something. Oh, and remember, as my grandmama used to say, You know, you probably wouldn't have this cold if you would wear some pants that had asses in them. Bye! Some of the music for tonight's program has been provided by Mavio's Music Service. Check them out at music.mavio.com, bitches!